0: To it's A Musical Podcast, the podcast show where I force my fiancé to watch the musicals he really should have seen by now, and then we talk about them.
1: I am the fiancé.
0: And I'm Drew, and you haven't had very much time to have watched this one, really.
1: No, but it's a brand new year. We are in 2022. How exciting.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And... You know, we talked last year, we were going to start the year as we meant to go on, ruthlessly. Yep. But this one is obviously the start of a new year for the character, Mm -hmm. for Jonathan Larson.
0: Sure.
1: You know, it's his birthday in the musical Tick, Tick, Boom. Yeah. And he's looking ahead to what he wants to accomplish within this next new year for him. Yeah. So it seemed like a good choice. It's a really loose connection. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And I might be completely wrong. I know that, you know, because there's the lyric, they're singing happy birthday. Yeah. So I think it's his birthday. Plus, I want to see Andrew Garfield again. Please (laughs) and thank you. Yeah, we've not had much time to watch this one. But I wanted to watch it. I saw the hype. I saw the trailers. I heard some really good uh reviews Mm -hmm. it's lynn manuel miranda directing it yep it is like the end game of musicals Mm -hmm. (laughs) i guess because there's a lot of cameos in it i'm pretty certain stephen sondheim shows up
0: yes and no
1: well like there's a voicemail from sondheim but it's actually stephen sondheim's voice but Stephen sometimes a character and someone plays Stephen Sondheim. Yeah. But like that's still very, very cool.
0: How do you know about the voicemail?
1: I've seen things online. Oh, right, okay. This this is what <laughs> I wanted to Shut up. We we would have covered this at launch. But except... we had
0: everything planned out already. Yeah, yeah, we had
1: everything planned out. And this was our backup if we didn't go and see Blood Brothers. Yes. This was our backup then. But I'm very very excited for this one because this is the second Jonathan Larson that we have covered mm-hmm. on the podcast. The first to being Rent.
0: Yeah,
1: I didn't get on with Rent, which is
0: understandably.
1: But it's funny because my Spotify Wrapped for 2021, my most listened to song is Rent.
0: Yeah,
1: I like some of the songs. Mm-hmm. I just thought it was too much to try and cram in and it was yeah it was one that left me really disappointed so i'm actually quite excited to see another jonathan larson musical Mm
2: -hmm.
0: cool good these are the only jonathan larson musicals oh really so
1: it's just tick tick boom and rent
0: yeah tick tick boom started out as something else which we'll talk about in a minute and he did start writing a different musical which then got put aside for rent. However, on January twenty fifth, nineteen ninety six, Rent had its first off Broadway preview performance, and also on January twenty fifth of nineteen ninety six, Jonathan Larson died. Yes,
1: I remember you telling me that he that he died.
0: Yeah, uh, and obviously that Marfan in... syndrome.
1: Oh, really? Mm-hmm. And I I remember, obviously, that had a big impact because any changes that might have been made to Rent weren't done. Yeah. Because it was a preview. And as a result, people left it the way it was at his death, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: which is completely understandable. Yeah. I think that's the right thing to
2: do.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah, because when we watched Rent, we talked about things that we would change and things that we would move around. Yes. And realistically, had Larson lived, he probably would have done the same and changed things and moved things around. But because what we have is what we were left with, people are very, very keen to keep Rent as it.
1: Yeah. and I think Which is understandable. But especially because I think the circumstances, you can't change that one. Mm-hmm. Had it been like two weeks later, but you've had a scrawled list of notes... And what could be different? Yeah, you could work with that
2: mm-hmm.
1: for it to be that circumstance. Quite rightly, Rent has been left untouched,
0: yeah, because he was actually misdiagnosed, yeah. Which, if he had been correctly diagnosed and treated, it is likely that he would have lived. Obviously, we can't know that, no. But from what medical investigators concluded, they thought that actually, yeah, if he had been diagnosed properly, he probably would have lived.
1: Which is such a shame.
0: Yeah, it's, it's terrible.
1: Yeah. So we're left with two shows. Yes. Both very, very different because Tick Tick Boom is autobiographical.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And you told me he wrote it as he was writing another show. That yeah. was completely abandoned. And some of the songs were absorbed into this.
0: Yeah. Well, so he wrote an early, wor- <laughs> an early work, which I'm sure I'm going to completely butcher the name of, but it was called Sacramoral Inority. Yes. Which is a mouthful. That's his first musical. He wrote it while he was at university, uh, which was a Brechtian themed musical cabaret. Cool. And they renamed it when they graduated uh, he wrote it with david glenn armstrong and they renamed it when they graduated they call it saved an immoral musical on the moral majority
1: <laughs> nice
0: guess which character from rent jonathan larson is um
1: well but i like and... that like you can see
0: you can see him in
1: it yeah. yeah and you can see how as that as an idea how his writing evolved and it kept his same ideas
0: yeah, and they won an award for it, cool. which is good. It played on a really small theatre on 42nd Street for four weeks, which nice. is pretty really good, during a showcase. Then he wrote Superbia it, between 1983 and 1990.
1: And that is what Tick Tick Boom chronicles, the writing of that?
0: Yeah, kind of, um, with uh, amongst other things. Yes. Yeah. But it was a futuristic rock retelling, is the word I want, of
1: 1984. Cool.
0: However, he asked permission from George Orwell's estate to make that connection for people and to say it was a retelling of 1984 and they denied him permission to adapt the novel. So he wasn't allowed to use anything from the novel, but that's what the influence was.
1: So was he allowed to say it was influenced by... No. So it literally was like, can't say anything.
0: No. And we know that now, but it was never fully produced. Yeah. For that reason. Which is
1: why we're allowed to talk about it, I guess, because it never actually happened. It's historical fact that he sought the rights and the rights were not given.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: He won a production award and a development grant to make that show. However, in 1991, because Superbia never took off and because... He never fully produced it. He started an autobiographical rock monologue entitled 3090, which was then renamed Boho Days and finally got called Tick, Tick, Boom.
1: Well, Boho Days is the lovey M, is isn't it? Yeah. You can see that influence in mm-hmm.
0: him. The It was written as a monologue.
1: Which is very, very cool.
0: Yes. So it was supposed to be Uh, Jonathan Larson and a drummer and a couple of guitarists and two vocalists. Yeah, just back Because he wanted a rock band, basically, and backing singers. And he presented it in November of 1991. He performed it as a rock monologue as a new form of theatre, which for the time was pretty groundbreaking. And it attracted the attention of a producer called Jeffrey Seller, who became a big fan of his work who then saw Rent in a workshop in 1995 and he was the one that convinced producers to bring it to Broadway. After Jonathan Larson died in 1996, one of Larson's friends, Victoria Leacock, asked David Auburn, who wrote Proof, which is a Pulitzer Prize winning play, to reconstruct the monologue into a musical where you would only need three actors—you need somebody to play Jonathan Larson, and then two actors who play everybody else—and the script was streamlined, the score was edited and brought down a little bit because while it worked really well for one person, you have to break it up if you're going to have multiple play- people playing all the characters. Yes, and then that got revised uh, into the Off Broadway version. And it then got uh, broken down even further and sort of taken apart and then put back together again and eventually ended up as the Tick-Tick Boom that we know now. However, when it is shown on Broadway and off-Broadway and in the UK, everywhere that it's been, it is always three performers. You have John Larson, his friend Michael, and Susan, who is his girlfriend. Yeah. And then Susan and Michael play all the other characters that you need as well.
1: So it's not so much the last five years where it's just the two of them throughout Mm -hmm. playing the same characters but splintered.
0: No, it would be like the last five years if in scenes where Jamie is talking to like his editor... Kathy became, became the
1: his editor. That's cool. I like that as an idea.
0: Yeah. But we've had like loads of really, really prominent actors who you will know playing these characters. So Raul Esparza played Jonathan in the off Broadway premiere cast in 2001. Lin Manuel Miranda played John. Uh, Dean Armstrong, Neil Patrick Harris, they've all played Jonathan Larson.
1: So that's very cool. So for Lin Manuel Miranda, then. This is obviously a property that he's...
0: A big fan of, yeah.
1: And it's his first directorial feature film. Mm-hmm. So that is really like a labour of love then.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Cool. Yeah, so Julie O is the producer for this version of Tick, Tick, Boom. And she was inspired to bring it to the screen after she saw Lima Miranda star in the 2014 production at the New York City Center, and after seeing it, after seeing an article about how how inspired Lin Manuel Miranda had been by this show, she then approached him and Jonathan Mills, who is the head of the Larson Estate, only to be told that the family did not want to give away the film rights because they did not want any changes made to this story, and they didn't want. Uh, They wanted him to be portrayed accurately. Well,
1: so this is the difficulty, isn't it? We've seen it a lot in 2021 with a lot of movie musicals making some weird changes, cutting songs, adding songs, Mm. but very much changing the overall narrative as a result. Yep. Now, obviously, this was released around the same time as Dear Evan Hansen. Mm -hmm. So it's not like his estate would have noticed that trend yeah. Then it must be interesting like somebody somewhere down the line must have tried to get the film rights from them. Mm-hmm. They agreed and then when they read the script were like no this is wrong and must have had like a brick wall and that yeah. was it. No. Not interested.
0: They did cut a couple of songs from this. There's a song called Sugar and See Her Smile and a song that people are really upset about from what I've seen on TikTok and Twitter called Green Green Dress which is supposed to be performed by Jonathan Larson and Susan. And it's, it's, it's like quite a nice um, romantic little song about like him seeing her and being like, oh my God, you're so beautiful, which is great. But they cut it due to it, it slows down the pace of the film quite a lot. Yeah, um, But the song is in the film. Cool. They just don't sing it. It's played like a radio song. So there's, it was re- modelled into like an r&b cover and it's played like it's on the radio which is pretty cool yeah it's it's nice that it's in there somewhere yeah
1: this is it it's not like your favorite one from dear evan hansen got repurposed into the bat marching band playing it yeah which feels like very dismissive yeah yeah that's quite cool that this is still in it so we've obviously got andrew garfield in it Mm -hmm. you told me a fantastic story about how he got the role for this
0: yeah, so from what... I have no, no evidence to back this up, but from what I've seen online... Yeah. And feel free to correct me if this isn't actually true, but from what I've seen online, Lynn manuel Miranda and Andrew Garfield go to the same masseuse or chiropractor or whatever you want to call it. Yes. And Lynn mentioned that he was considering Andrew Garfield for the role because he kind of looks the part.
1: Does he I've never seen what Jonathan Larson looks like. Do you think there's a similarity?
0: It's definitely in in the film and I've seen people make versions where they cut between Andrew Garfield singing 3090 and Jonathan Larson and oh my god it's the same person. That's cool. I'm sure he didn't always look exactly the same, but they've done a really good job at casting this. Yeah. So Lin-Manuel Miranda asks his chiropractor masseuse guy, hey, uh, do you know if he can sing? And the masseuse is like, oh yeah, Andrew Garfield, yeah, he sings all the time. He never shuts up. He's always singing when he's here. Absolute lie. Never heard Andrew Garfield sing ever. But Andrew Garfield had mentioned to him that he wanted to like branch out in his... What he was acting in. Yes. So he was just like, oh, yeah, sure, absolutely. I'm sure he'd love to be in your musical, Lim Mamma Miranda. So he rang him up and hired him, and he had never sung in anything else
1: before this. Very cool. Which is very cool and very funny. I feel really bad for Andrew Garfield because this is a huge deal, this film.
0: Yeah. And, and the only thing anyone could ask him about in interviews was whether or not he was in Spider Man. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I feel.
0: Sucks. I really think if I was Andrew Garfield's agent, I would have rung up well, if I was casting people at Marvel and been like, hey, just so you know, he's on tour for this other film. Can you please just announce that he's in Spider-Man? Yes. Because... Well, that
1: or... <laughs> Spoilers for Spider-Man. That or you have the film producers say, we won't be answering any Spider-Man themed questions. Mm-hmm. Please ask him exclusively about our one. Because this is Netflix, isn't it? Yeah. So Netflix... <sighs> i mean i know that netflix have the first kind of i don't know what it's like in other territories but all the spider-man films they have the first streaming rights too so maybe they don't want to mess with sony but you would think somebody would step in and be like it's actually to the detriment of our
2: film now
1: and we're not getting any money from that production can we please talk about because i saw a good one where he was taking musicals out of a bag and he was talking about musicals that he liked that was cool keep it on theme but you've had one interview where he said no don't know anything i've, I've not yeah. heard about spider-man so i can tell you i'm not in it that's it that should have been enough why does every interviewer under the sun need to ask him
0: because they thought they were going to get a different answer
1: yeah yeah exactly
0: so julie o who was the one who reached out to the larson estate she thought that the only person who would be uh, able to accurately portray Jonathan Larson was somebody who had played him in the musical. So Lin-Manuel Miranda is like her top choice for this. And she actually invited him over to have formal discussions about this while he was filming Mary Poppins Returns, because they were both in London. So
1: this far back? Yeah. Cool.
0: It was announced in July of 2018. And Andrew Garfield came in at that point, they actually treated it as if they were making a new musical for the stage so they had workshops and they invited loads of different people in to play different characters in this workshop and then this is when andrew garfield joined the process he just finished angels in america literally the day before
1: i really wish i'd seen that
0: i've seen some clips from it yeah
1: it looked amazing but it's such a long play anyway
0: yeah and they also brought in Dear Hansen Hansen's Stephen Levinson to pen the script cool. for this. Because we encounter with this the same thing that we encounter with the last five years movie, which is how do you take a show that has two or three actors playing every role or even sometimes not acknowledging that there's not another actor on stage with you and talking as if there is somebody there Yeah. to a movie where you have to set it in the real world as we know it and your characters have to interact with other human beings because yeah. that's how they lived and worked and in the same way that they did not the same people but in the same way that the last five years movie came out i think this translates really really well
1: excellent so have you ever seen tick tick boom uh, as a stage show
0: no i have seen a lot of clips of raul Spaza, especially because i really like him as a performer and Lynn manuel Miranda playing Jonathan Larson. I've seen a couple of clips of George Salazar, who I love. He was in... George
1: Salazar, Michael in the bathroom.
0: Yes. And he played Michael in this, <laughs> uh, in the most recent adaptation. Cool. And Kiara Renee, who I also love. She was Esmeralda in the mill house, playhouse, something like that. Version of Hunchback and Notre Awesome. She's a fantastic actress. I believe the last thing she did was Frozen and she was Elsa. Um, but yeah, really, really phenomenal performances from all of them. And then when they announced it was Andrew Garfield, I was like, oh, that'll be interesting. I'm excited to see that. And now the only song I listen to is 3090.
1: I have heard you <laughs> all listen time, to it over and over again. It's either that or the, some of the stuff from Encanto. Yeah. It's my life now. It is. Did this ever perform in the West End? Then, yes. Cool. When did and you were you aware of it at that point in time, or was it just a case of no, and then it came to the West End, and you wish it would come back?
0: We had it. Well, the London premiere was 2005 with Neil Patrick Harris.
1: Blimey, that's very very. Wish I'd seen that. I mean, you'd have been 10. Yeah. So. You know, definitely wouldn't have been on your radar, I suspect.
0: Yeah. And then the West End revival was 2009, so it wasn't really on my radar at the time.
1: And it's not been in since.
0: Not so far as I'm aware. I'm sure somebody will correct me because I'm usually wrong. But, yeah.
1: Or maybe the success of this... Yeah. Is what could lead to another production of it.
0: I hope so. There was a
1: revival in 2011 in London. Mm. Uh, Samuel Horton.
0: Oh, David Adams and Katrina Boyd. Yeah. yeah.
1: But it doesn't look like there's been anything since.
0: No, it has been lots of other places. Like there was the Dutch premiere and the Spanish premiere and the Czech premiere, like all over the place. Yeah,
1: but this is one, like we said, with uh, the last five years, you just need three people. Yeah. You know, it's
0: a... Do you know what? It's a really good COVID show. Yeah. I'm surprised that they haven't reopened it because the last five years was fantastic to go and see.
1: But maybe there's a rights thing just because of the film. Probably. Maybe that just muddies the water a little bit. And now that the film's out... Mm. it can who knows i'm excited to watch this one um the the songs i've heard are good i really enjoyed the film version of the last five years i do worry that in terms like that autobiographical thing again we're going to make comparisons to last five years because it's the only autobiographical thing we've really watched yeah i wonder what this will make me think of jonathan larson as a person yeah
0: because that was our whole thing with the last five years why would like, you admit... why would you admit to any of this
1: yeah and it, it it makes me wonder what what i will make of his character mm-hmm. but then i guess if his estates have been very cautious with who they've given the rights to yeah they must be aware of his legacy And maybe there won't be any huge controversial points in his life that I'll be like, why would you own up to that? Mm. But we will see. Yes. So we will be back after the intermission.
0: Yeah, and keep in mind, everything you are about to see is real except for the parts that Jonathan made up.
2: Duh Once in your life They're singing happy birthday You just wanna lay down and cry Not just another birthday It's 39. Why can't you stay 29? Hell, you still feel like you're 22 Turn 30 in 1990 Bang, you're dead What can you do?
0: we are back.
1: Yes, we have turned 30 and we are back. Yeah. Oh, that was such a phenomenal musical.
0: I'm glad you like it.
1: I love it. It was just... It was very, very interesting. Mm -hmm. Because this is realistically just a musical about a week in his life.
0: Yeah.
1: And... I just I really love that the stakes in this aren't big within the widest scheme of the whole world, mm-hmm. but for this one character, they are massive. Yeah, and especially like the whole being a crossroads in your life, and he's got three paths that he could go, he could go down, mm-hmm. and I think he does a really good job. Does Jonathan Larson in this set? I feel owning up to maybe mistakes that he's made more so than the last five years did.
0: Yeah, we find it really easy to compare this to the last five years because that's sort of the last autobiographical musical we looked at and also deals a lot with the relationships. Yeah,
1: but I think certainly in that one, it was far more like, look at me winning the relationship in the breakup. Mm -hmm. With this one... It definitely feels like Jonathan Larson's owning up to I made some mistakes and I'm not a good, I'm not a perfect person. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Here's the mistakes I made. Here's why I made them. Yeah. And it's far more like an ownership of here's what it takes to create art. And if you want to be in the same position I am in, these are sacrifices you need to make. It's very much like a cautionary tale of what it is to be involved in the industry. And like, Mm -hmm. it's not as easy as people make it look definitely and that people will get hurt along the way and these are the people i hurt along the way Mm -hmm. and these are regrets i have but you know i just i felt that was quite interesting like he didn't pull any punches seemingly
0: yeah so far as we know
1: yeah obviously. obviously
0: this is all from him
1: yes but it felt far more like he was a far more reliable narrator than you know jamie in the last five years
0: oh definitely
1: You know, this was warts and all, as opposed to, yes, but I did this. They got it wrong.
0: Well, the difference is we've given a lot more into Kathy's perspective in the last five years, whereas here, Susan, we only know what she tells us.
1: Which is fine. I quite like that. It it makes it far more internal as opposed to I'm putting words in someone else's mouth Mm. or I'm telling you what their experience of the world is like. Yeah. You know, that I think is better because if we start to see more from Susan's perspective, it's like, yeah, but how much of this actually happened?
0: Yeah, this film is absolutely chock full of cameos.
1: It is. Starting
0: and at five minutes in all the way through to the end.
1: I loved it. And I just want to also say the cinematography was done by Alice Brooks,
0: mm-hmm.
1: who also worked on In the Heights, mm-hmm. the film adaptation, which is very, very cool.
0: That makes a lot of
1: sense. And I think the cinematography in this is amazing. And there's a lot of really nice things that are done with the shots. So I love how it opens. It gets huge applause for Andrew Garfield. Mm -hmm. And...
0: Jonathan Larson.
1: Yeah. uh, You know, Andrew Garfield says how he's one of the last of his species. But one of the nice things about the way this is shot especially is that it comes across like it is this home VHS footage, but also, you know, maybe a not-so-legal pro shot. You know, like it's a bootleg of this show. Mm. Comes across quite nice. Yeah. Because it feels more immersive into this world that here we are actually starting tick tick boom. Well
0: it's not so much that like illegal bootleg thing as that it was filmed on a VHS camera. Like <laughs>
1: But that's what I mean, is is it it comes across very much of the era
2: mm-hmm. when
1: it was first produced that you feel like this is actually him performing it. And it does a really nice job at blending the live rock monologue version, but then having the cinema movie version. Yeah. And the two worlds together, because you know that all of this is happening on stage. That's what we see. Mm -hmm. You could imagine that the rest of this happens within Jonathan Larson's mind. This is how he tells a storyboard, so how he pictures it happening. Because I think that's a huge thing with him is that when he's writing, he looks for the Broadway potential, yeah. If we look at Sunday and we'll talk about that in a bit, that moment is very much what he sees it as this big ensemble and the way the 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 walls move, like the flats come out, that's how he sees it getting performed. And I, I, I would wager that anyone who writes a musical is always thinking how is this gonna be performed when they when they write the song.
2: Mm-hmm. In
1: the same way that before I started directing School of Rock, all I did was listening to the soundtrack, and I picture different songs and how I'd stage it, and what I wanted with the lights. And I really like that about this film that there's yeah. the internal side of it, but then you see the performance side of it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and I, I tell you what's really sad as well is the fact that we do start with kind of the prologue, which is was it Susan, Susan talking about Jonathan Larson, the real person, and we see
2: mm-hmm.
1: real clips to kind of bookend the show we start and it just feels very documentary as well. Yeah. Really nice. And we go into 3090,
0: mm-hmm. which
1: is a really difficult song to sing.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: And the fact that Andrew Garfield got cast in this with like his singing being this unknown and he sings well, this. There were
0: rehearsals in advance. And they were, oh yeah. It's they not
1: like he just went on set and did this, but it's, it's a tough song. Yeah. And I'm sorry to your ears listeners. It's tough, but it's such a good song. It's been in my head ever since. Yeah.
0: Andrew Garfield trained for a year musically. Yeah. Before filming this.
1: Yeah. (laughs) But you can see that it's a very demanding, but also just a really powerful performance. Mm -hmm. Before we recorded, I actually watched a montage of different people singing 3090. You had the Raul Espaza version, which was. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Neil Patrick Harris's version for when he did it in London, Lynn manuel Miranda's version. And, you know, I do think Andrew Garfield's version is up there. Like, it's really, really good. And for somebody who's had to go through this training in an intensive year period, yeah, this is such a great moment.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I just, I think there's a lot of parallels that I can... Draw with Jonathan Larson. You know, the whole idea that you're turning 30, you saw your life being something different.
0: When he has this constant thing of like, oh my God, I'm older than Stephen Sondheim was when he had his first Broadway show. It's like, okay, good for you.
1: But it is, you know, you do make those comparisons. You know, for me.
0: No, I know. I know everybody does, but there's a certain point where you have to be like, okay.
1: Yeah, no, you and can't there is. You can look at it that way. But it is very, very difficult, especially in an industry where maybe youth is an advantage.
2: Mm.
1: You know? And not just that, he's not just running out of time in terms of he's turning 30. He is running out of time because of the, the financial impact as well. And he's living in a world where he sees friends that aren't making 30, Mm -hmm. how long and it sounds it's even worse knowing what happens with Jonathan Larson but how long does he have
0: yeah
1: you know and that's so sad as well and you know when I turned 30 it was right at the start of the pandemic we were isolating as of my 30th birthday and on that personal thing of it's like oh I've turned 30 and all these things I wanted to accomplish I haven't and I, I really feel like this podcast is, you know, my thirty ninety. like
2: mm-hmm.
1: all these things I wanted to do because I just always assumed there'd be time and there wasn't. Yeah. You know, so it is a really good way at getting me to, and I'm sure it's not just me. I'm sure a lot of people who don't know who Jonathan Larson is can relate to this idea of turning 30 and thinking, oh no, oh no. Mm -hmm. and it just is a really really good song i love the back and forth between like seeing his apartment you know like the sagging bookshelves but then seeing the audience
0: yeah
1: and we have somebody who's appeared on the podcast before singing alongside him i I didn't know she was in this
0: yeah well she's previously been in rent twice oh cool as maureen which I think really suits her. It's yeah. It's a good character for her. But yeah, she was in the Hollywood Bowl version and then she was in Rent Live and she was bigger
1: than that. There's, a, I mean, definitely, there's a lot of rent alumni in this. You know, oh, just... well,
0: like the apartment building that they live in is fifty two
1: five six hundred. Yeah. It's 525,600 yeah. minutes. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, there's so
0: much stuff on here.
1: She's also probably, you know, we, we know she signed to like this huge Netflix contract considering how many films she's done with netflix like this is what her fifth mm-hmm. maybe she was just like desperate is like look i've signed to you guys let me be part of this project yeah it's it's a really really nice opening i like that we see that he's working at the moon dance diner
2: mm-hmm.
1: which i did some research i said to you because i didn't know this was a real place i didn't know No,
0: you were like oh my god <laughs> it's from spider-man <laughs>
1: It's the same diner that Mary Jane is working at in Spider-Man 1. And then Peter's like, oh, what do you do? And she's trying to act like she's not a waitress there. And then and then the boss is like, Arr.
0: I mean, it's also in Friends.
1: Yeah, because it's where Monica works, but it's not the Moondance Diner. Then. It's, it's given just a the name.
0: exterior yeah. of it is the Moondance Diner. But yeah, this place is particularly famous because lots of people went and ate there and wrote musicals there.
1: Yeah. So it's really nice.
0: And this is also where Jonathan Larson met Jesse L. Martin. They were both waiters at the same time. And then he hired Jesse L. Martin to play Tom in, or Collins, in Rent. Cool. Out of just knowing him at this diner.
1: But yeah, it it seems like the sort of place where... Like
0: a pivotal place.
1: Yeah, that a lot of actors will go when they're struggling or just haven't made it yet in the hopes of making a connection or meeting someone It's all about networking.
0: Um, I'm pretty sure it's been flattened now and turned into a hotel.
1: Oh, that's really, really sad.
0: Yep. Yeah, the... (laughs) It was donated to to the American Dining Museum, the front of it, the bit with the spinning moon. And then they put it up for sale on their website before it even got to them. And then somebody bought it for like seven thousand dollars which is not a lot of money and then paid forty thousand dollars to pick it up and drive it in it like a truck and then because it wasn't being used it sort of fell into dilapidation on its site and then yeah it it fell in when there was a snowstorm got flattened was Potentially going to be sold to a gas drilling company, then was going to be condos and then eventually got turned into a hotel.
1: Ironically, it was closed due to rising rent in 2007. It sucks. How we gonna pay? I So one of the things I really like about Andrew Garfield, and I think I'm, I've seen this in far more different things that he's been, it's just how manic and chaotic his energy is. And especially here where he's like, the you, you're no longer the ingenue. And like his chaotic, manic energy in his flat is just amazing. Mm-hmm. He's all over the place. So he's given his notice to the Moondance Diner. He's going to be led by Love.
0: This is where we see the first cameo. Um, Roger Bart from the producers and James C. Nicola, who was the director of the New York Theatre Workshop, are having dinner in the background while the scene is happening. That's very, very cool. And then obviously, we also have. The bookshop. Mi- well, we have Michaela J. Rodriguez as Carolyn, one of his co workers. Yes. She played. Angel. Angel in Rent but also she was amazing in Shop of Horrors with George Salazar. It was really good. Fantastic.
1: Yeah so we've got some really nice little moments here. I I like the scene in the bookshop where he goes to buy like this empty score. It's like how are you gonna pay for it? I don't know. So Susan pays for it. You're gonna
0: buy it for me Susan? She buys it for his birthday.
1: Yes but Um, I, I like you've got like the ensemble of the different like like acting Patrons. like the things he's
0: talking about because this part of the song is uh, Alice in Wonderland mixed with yes. Peter Pan oh no and also and The Wizard of Oz so they're talking about the wizard blew off his command and you're no longer in Neverland because like basically Jonathan Larson spends the first part of this movie having Peter Pan syndrome yeah and being like way too attached to who he was before rather than Taking who on is. who he is now as an adult.
1: Yes. I really like how this song ends. I think it's just an amazing song. And then then we go into his flat and he says, hey, Pookie, to Michael. And I'm just like, ah, oh, how many Rent references are we going to Not have? Not
0: even just that. We also get the Rent answering machine, which is all of them going, speak. Speak. At the same time, and also when he walks in, Michael is listening to a recording, which is somebody talking about, oh, we can't get your speakers to work. They're just coming back as reverb. I don't understand. What which sound- is Rent. Which is Joanne yes. calling Maureen, yeah.
1: Yeah, I love it. And I, I, that, one of the things that's really nice is there's a lot of Easter eggs in this. Loads that I didn't pick up on because I'm not.
0: I literally sat there the whole time like, I understand that reference. Yes. I get this thing.
1: Yeah, because I'm not a big Rent head. Mm-hmm. But I I picked up on a few things like pookie,
0: pookie,
1: you know, small things like that. Yeah, it's really, really nice. And then we have this moment, we go back to the, the rock monologue and he sits on his piano to talk to the audience and tell them the story.
0: Yeah. Do you remember what his uh, passion project is called?
1: Super- Superbia. Yeah. Yeah. And... He's got this... and He's telling the audience that he had, at the end of this week, a workshop for this project that he's been working on for eight years. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And obviously, it's panicking him. Mm -hmm. We obviously start to learn a little bit about the two other important influences in his life, which are Michael and Susan. And this is why he's at a crossroads, is because Michael is a former actor.
0: Ad executive now. And is
1: now an ad executive and has lots of money and is very, very successful. And there's a bit of pressure, whether it's actually from Michael or pressure that Jonathan feels himself that he could go into that route.
0: Michael, they sort of infer that Michael has previously offered him a couple of different jobs.
1: Because he doesn't want him to be an executive. He wants him to write jingles. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. And then Susan has got a job teaching at Jacob's Pillow, which is a dance academy. Yeah. And... Or Academy for the Arts, rather, but it's in like Maryland. I don't quite remember. It
1: basically means leaving New York, which is
0: Massachusetts. I was close.
1: <laughs> is he ready for that? You know, for him to move to Massachusetts, it's essentially him saying, I failed, I've given up. Yeah. That's it. It's
0: in the Berkshires.
1: Yes. I, I really like the bit where he tells us about Susan's backstory and you see this beautiful dance, like very, very nice modern dance.
2: Yeah. And
1: he's just sat in the audience, gives a big round of applause at the end. But he's telling about how that, you know, she did this, she did this, she did this. Then she broke her leg. Ankle. I
0: think broke her ankle true. and
1: she had to take time out. But then she came back. It wasn't quite right, but she's getting stronger.
0: Mm. By and... the time she would have chosen a company. And then she had her accident and then she couldn't do that anymore.
1: So basically what you have here is really nice is you've got someone who's still involved in the performance aspect, an ex-performer and a writer.
0: Yeah. Well, it's really interesting because I'm not super into modern dance, but when he's watching her he's so entranced by it that when the lights come on at the end of the performance, he's like leaning forwards immediately. He's just like suddenly there in the moment. Yes. it's So good to him.
1: We go back to moon dance and we get a few more moments with Freddie and Carolyn. Carolyn. Yeah. So Freddie has AIDS
2: mm-hmm.
1: and Carolyn is played by a trans actress is that a deliberate choice in terms of casting, so in terms of the story? Because obviously the, a huge Rent influence there, isn't it, of people dying from AIDS?
0: Yeah.
1: And a very trans-inclusive world mm-hmm. with Rent. So is that is this something that's true to most performances of Tick, Tick, Boom, or true to Jonathan Larson's life, or is this just kind of there alongside a Rent easter egg? It's supposed
0: to be that it's there... Because Jonathan Larson cared so much about these kind of things. But also he was around other artist types and around other people who had these things going on in their lives. So they wanted to represent that.
1: That's fantastic. no? We
0: also get uh, Scott, because they're at this party. Oh, yeah. And he comes in and he's like, oh, yeah, I really wanted to come to this party. And he's there with... Ryan, I think, is the friend who is in Superbia with him, yeah. in Tick Tick Boom with Jonathan Larson. But he's like, oh, yeah, I love artist parties. They always have the best drugs. Like, you guys are so cool and I'm working marketing, so I don't get to do any of this. And he's like, oh, what do you do to Jonathan Larson? And he
1: just says, I'm the future of musical theatre.
0: Scott. But yeah, Ryan Vasquez was also in In the Heights.
1: Yeah. He worked I re- in
0: the music department as an extra voice.
1: I really liked this. And then we go into Boho Days. And I really like how this song just comes out of that playful drumming that shows that there's always like music on his brain, mm-hmm. that he sees the music potential in everything. Yeah. Because it feels like this is just an organic kind of, this moment just happens. Mm-hmm. I really love the rhythm of the lyrics. But in another kind of accurate description of what it means to be turning 30, he says, I thought by now I'd have a dog, a kid, a wife.
0: And Susan's like, oh, okay, did you?
1: Yes. But in the same way that like completely understandable that by 30, you think you're going to have because everything. Because
0: that's what there. our parents did. You yeah,
1: know? exactly. So it is quite scary.
0: I like that we have all the stuff about like sometimes there's a light in the bathroom not today yeah and the showers in the kitchen there might be some soap
1: and i like the idea of like all the 14 different housemates that have been and gone been and gone been and gone because mm-hmm. one of that, them's on the lamb. yeah and this is how long seen. he's been there mm-hmm. just trying to write his masterpiece yep he goes up onto the roof cause susan's kind of hiding away
0: Yeah, this is where Green Green Dress should happen. And a lot of people are sad that this isn't here, but I understand why they cut it, because it's a ballad. It would have really slowed down the pace at this point, because what we get is we go from Boho Days into No More, which are both really upbeat songs that keep the pace moving along. And in between that, we get some talking stuff. Yeah. So it's easier just to not it, have this ballad here. It is.
1: And especially because when we do have the ballad later on, when we finally get to... Come to your
0: senses. Come
1: to your senses. Yeah. It feels much bigger when, we've ha- when we build up to the ballad there, I think. Mm-hmm. But I like the sequence. This is where we learn that Susan's thinking of the teaching job and Jonathan... Obviously, it's like, well, yeah, but by the way, your performance tonight was amazing. And then she stuns him in her green dress.
0: Oh, I thought this was so funny. She's got, um, I don't know whether they're actually Leducas. There's this like brand of dance shoe called Leducas and they do one specific type that's like Victorian woman (laughs) dance shoe and that's what she's wearing. And it just made me laugh in that scene because I was like, this is an odd choice of a shoe for you to have at this party.
1: We get a nice line where Jonathan's speaking to Michael. He says, you just want to lure me to the dark side, which is the jingle writing and not advertising. Mm It's like, look at what you do. You could write things. And we actually reprise that idea where he talks about writing a song about sugar just as a Mm -hmm. warm-up. Yeah, that's in a second as well. He'd have been great at doing that. But we're going to know more.
0: Weaky Ceilings.
1: Yes. I love his reactions when performing... Like, so when we go into the auditorium and he's performing Tick, Tick, Boom, like, mm-hmm. I love his reactions to things. He's like,
0: what apartment building has uh valley parking?
1: Yeah, and you just see him doing this monologue. And he's like, what is this world? Mm-hmm. Like, it's I really like the real world because that's, that's yeah. what I refer to as the Tick, Tick, Boom world is the real world. And then in his head is where we see, like, the bulk of the action. And that's like his fantasy.
0: Yeah, so in this song, we have a couple of, uh, cameos, we have Lynn Manuel Miranda's dad. Cool. Who is Louis Miranda Jr. And then we also have two performers from Freestyle Love Supreme, which is Lynn Manuel Miranda's comedy hip-hop musical group that is currently on Broadway, nice. and it is Jelly Donut and Shockwave. Nice. That's their names, apparently.
1: I like this song because it's basically rent.
0: I love this song. This song is a bop. I love all of the I love the way that Michael acts about all the really fancy new stuff where he's like the the chopping block table where yeah. he's like, oh,
1: yes. Well, I just love uh, the cinematography is beautiful, but I just love the juxtaposition between the new like apartment,
2: mm-hmm.
1: which is what they want to turn a whole of apartment blocks in red into, and then... The old, which Mm. is what they're currently living in rent, you know. Like, I love that juxtaposition.
0: Even just the opening line, which is "No more walking sixteen blocks in freezing winter, carrying laundry," where you
2: are
1: like, "No more, no more." It's really, really fun. The best bit in this is when they come back into the lobby in their rich outfits, like in their tuxedos, and they're just like throwing cash.
0: Captain Kangaroo, yeah, Yeah.
1: I loved it. And there is a really nice transition at the end of this song. You see him getting into the lift. He stands in the lift, and then you blink. And then he's, and he's on the, the subway, yeah. yeah. It's really, really good. And yes, we're back in the diner, and he is singing his sugar song to yes. his producer, producer. Ira. Yes.
0: So Ira tells him, look, this is all well and good. I'm happy to put your show on.
1: But you are missing a song.
0: You need a song in the second act for Elizabeth, this character in *Superbia*, And he's like, no, I don't think I do. <laughs> That's fine. And we're going to cut away in a second. But he also says, Ira says, that there's no money to get him a band. He can just have the piano. It's a workshop. And he's like, no, I need a band. I wrote a rock musical. Yeah. So we need a band for that. But yes, we cut away to a composer's workshop.
1: Because he says that there's only ever been one other person who says that you're missing a song. Mm Mm-hmm. And we see in this workshop that, you know, basically where everyone would go, they'd share stuff, they'd get some really nice feedback. Yeah. And then one day they heard rumours that he was here. Mm -hmm. And of course it is Stephen Sondheim.
0: Yes, he who shall not be named.
1: He who shall not be named.
0: Stephen Sondheim is played here by Bradley Whitford, but we will have a cameo from the actual Steve. Oh, that was weird. The actual Stephen Sondheim later on. However... You know who else is here?
1: Was well, uh, Bing Bong.
0: Literally everyone is here.
1: Well, I so the person who leads—I can't remember the actor's name, which is such a shame. Uh, the
0: guy who keeps being like, "That's exactly what I was going to say." Yeah. Uh,
1: so you've got the person who usually leads the, I guess, workshops is the the main host. Yeah. And then brings in like a guest somebody they know from the industry. And you've got Richard Kind mm-hmm. as that role. And it's like, oh, it's Bing Bong. But he comes across like he's such a brown nose that he he gives some criticism to Jonathan Larson, And then Stephen Sondheim's like, yeah, actually... No, I, think I disagree. He... And he yeah. goes, well, of course, I mean, I agree with you, but I'm just saying this. And Ed, he turns everything that he said into being like, oh, I'm a hypocrite because I'm going to agree with Stephen Sondheim, but still try and... Stephen yeah. Sondheim says this, so I'm agreeing.
0: Yeah, no, yeah. but we also see... The rest of the audience who are taking their turns to present, they're supposed to be other students. You know, yeah. they're, they're also working on their own compositions. But we have Mark Scheiman.
1: From Hairspray. Uh,
0: Janine Tessori from Fun Home. Alex Lecomore, Hamilton. Jason Robert Brown. Is he in it? He's in the audience Oh, here. wow. Stephen Schwartz. Obviously, Stephen wicked. Schwartz
1: shows up a few times. He's there yeah. a few
0: times, but yeah, Stephen Schwartz, Georgia Stitt, who worked on Thirteen, Stephen Trask, Hedwig and the Angry Inch, Dave Malloy, who wrote Natasha Pierre in the Great Comet, or oh, worked on, uh Chad Beguin, who worked on The Prom, Joe Iconis, Be More Chill, yeah, uh, Tom kitt for Next to Normal, Stephen Levinson, Dear Evan Hansen, Matthew Schuyler from The Prom. Uh, Helen Park from K-pop.
1: This is so cool. Shina
0: Taub from Old Hats. Amanda Green, High Fidelity. I mean, <laughs> I'm going to run out of breath. Hang on. Uh, I Jamie, like, I've done that
1: this episode already.
0: Jamie Lozano, Yellow Brick Road. Grace McLean, also Natasha Priera in The Great Comet. Elo Bolin, who worked on the John Mulaney and the Sack lunch Bunch, which is was actually pretty good. We should watch that. Matthew McCollum, Ballad of Bridgewater. Isa Davis, Passing Strange, and Nick Blumea who worked on the Tick-Tick Boom off-Broadway revival. Cool. Everybody in that audience is an actual writer in musical theatre, which is so cool. Yeah. But it's the same thing of, like, obviously this is all happening inside of Jonathan Larson's head, what we're being shown, as opposed to the Tick-Tick Boom yeah. show. So these are who he considers his peers. Yeah. Because these are the people who are on the same level. Well, this,
1: so. And there are some of them who would probably be younger than him because there's quite a few newer musicals.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't know. I don't know their ages, but obviously some of them are newer musicals like Dear Evan Hansen. Would they have been in classes like this at the same time? Probably not. Yeah, I just, I think that's a really nice way to use the cameo. One of my favourite lines is where, I think it was Walter, where Richard Coyne says, we're saying the same thing, just uh, separately just definitely I, yeah I loved it I, re- I really loved this scene yeah and yes Stephen Sondheim also says that the song is missing and he says he
0: says it's really good but Elizabeth needs another song because this is the emotional peak of the yeah. show and without it you don't get the emotional through line of the characters
1: yeah and this is where we then have uh Ira says a great song should sound great without instruments but Jonathan Larson's dance is grand. I think good for him he's passionate in this project he knows full well that he could argue his case too much and lose everything but he's standing by his passion which is what's got him this far i think
2: mm-hmm.
1: rosa is not doing her job and in sending invites so rosa is his agent yes we learn there's only there's not even been any rsvps is rosa doing it and we see jonathan trying to get through to her but having very little luck We see this nice little montage now of him trying to generate interest in Superbia. he's
0: reading people, And we see him
1: try to leave a message for Sondheim. But we've also got him trying to write this song, which means that he's not talking to Michael and he's not talking. So Michael's uh, said that we've got you to do like a a group.
0: Advertising focus group. Yeah, Yeah, a focus
1: group. He's like, no, I'm not interested. But you've also got the lack of conversation with Susan about... What do we do? And yeah, because too... she,
0: she wants to take this job, but she also wants him to tell her to stay. Yeah. Because that's really the only thing that's stopping her from going is him.
1: Yeah. So all of this, he's too busy because he's trying to write a song. We see him watching Sunday in the Park with George to try and inspire him. We also...
0: oh know, that's a flashback. Was it? Yeah, because he's there with Susan and Michael. It's a flashback to like earlier.
1: Okay, fair enough.
0: Yeah, but it's the Bernadette Peters one.
1: Yes. But we also see as well that you can hear him listening to Hair, Let the Sunshine. So, you know, so he's listening to other like musicals. Other musicals, but then
0: also rock. Yes.
1: Like... And we see that he's watching the news and you've got a senator talking about the AIDS crisis mm-hmm. really negatively. And you see him write down a line in his notepad. The and he gets nice, dead
0: wrong, yeah.
1: And you get this nice moment where you see the writing in the notepad. You know, he's writing Rent at the same time without even realising it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then we get Johnny Can't Decide. And I think this is really powerful, really sad. I just loved the tone of it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: This was a really, really nice song because he just just doesn't know what to do. Yeah, Should he, you know, again, he's at that crossroads. Should he be giving up on his dream? Should he keep going with his dream or should he go and have a family?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What What does Johnny want to do? Johnny Can't Decide. And it does really I think this does a phenomenal job at making the moment seem pivotal. You know, this song really does make the the plot of this stand out. This is this is what the, the is at stake here.
0: Yeah. And
1: the success of the show overall hinges on this song and I think it does a really good job of it. Mm-hmm. Freddie's in bad shape because Freddie has had to go to uh hospital. Yeah. And again, you then have more of Johnny being at this crossroads of I'm losing friends. You know, I know people who are 27 or 25 who are dying. And I just think the monologue here is beautiful. Yeah. And I think it's perfect placement considering I'm about to go into Sunday. Mm -hmm. But you need something. You've got this really nice like downbeat song that is so important to the plot and has some real... Like real world ramifications here,
0: yeah, because the thing is we're so inside of Jonathan Larson's head here that if we didn't have this connection to the real world and the things that are going on around him, it would feel really shallow yeah, but because we're given that wider range of things, it's okay.
1: it is, and then we go to Sunday, so obviously he's you know working at the Moon Dance diner. There is just two of them because Freddie's ill and they are very overworked. Sunday's their busiest day. Yep, Sunday brunch. But this is where we have one of the biggest, most fantastical sequences that's kind of filled with something just to lighten you up Mm -hmm. after that scene because this is, and this song is is essentially just a, a rework of Sunday in the Park with George. Like the same song, Sunday. It's
0: a reference to Sunday in the Park with George.
1: Which is really, really fun. I like the idea that he's written a song about his life inspired by Sondheim. Mm
0: -hmm. Who's the first cameo?
1: Lin-Manuel Miranda. Yeah. He's the chef.
0: This was supposed to be Joanna Gleason and Chip Zine, who were the original baker and the baker's wife from Into the Woods as the cooks. However...
1: That would have been funny.
0: Because they had really stepped up the COVID safety precautions because they have a lot of older musical theatre people here they decided that it wasn't going to be safe for them to go across the country to go and
1: Which is fair enough.
0: Like film a two second scene. Yeah. So he did it instead and he said, I'm not getting them sick, that's not going to be on my conscience.
1: No, and I like <laughs> that. Enough. And I quite like it because as the director he is arguably the chef in this. He's yeah, responsible for all the ingredients coming yeah, together. Yeah. But we also see uh, Stephen Schwartz
0: we do. He's sitting. He doesn't join in with the singing.
1: No, we see the Skylar sisters.
0: Yes, we have Philip Sue and Renée Elise Goldsberry, who uh, form the pose of the Skylar sisters. No, well. Peggy. No, <laughs> poor Peggy.
1: Uh, we also had, and I can't remember the actor's name, but we saw him a year ago in Ratatouille. He played the big chef at the end. Andre oh, no, the de critic. Shields. Andre de Shields. Yeah. He's here. Can't remember his name. Andre
0: de Shields is amazing. So we had Howard McGillen, who's in Phantom of the Opera, Chuck Cooper, Joel Gray, Brian Stokes Mitchell, Felicia Rashad, Beth Malone, B.B. Newworth, Cheetah Rivera, yep. who we love. and Bernadette Peters, Adam Pascal. Oh, so right. We have Everybody Inside, and then there's this line, and the bums, 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 bums who are outside, and it's Adam Pascal, Daphne Rubin-Vega, and Wilson Jermaine Herediter from the original cast of Run. Yeah,
1: which is very, very cool. Yeah. And I like this. So the till breaks, it's all chaos, and then he just takes control like and he starts conducting.
0: I actually saw a behind-the-scenes of them filming this, and that's a practical effect. Nice. The wall coming down. They had they made the wall so that it could f- like roll down in the yeah. actual studio that they were filming in. It's very, very cool.
1: cool. Well, this is the assemble moment in avengers endgame where you know everyone's coming through the portals the cameras panning across and we get all these different faces Mm -hmm. this is that moment for musical theater fans where you're just like oh it's this person oh it's this person you can't blink because you're so scared of missing someone sure and it's this really awesome idea especially because you have jonathan larson conducting them like this is his dream he wants to work with these people Mm -hmm. It's just a really, really nice moment. And I thought it was a, especially after some of the, you know, the, the Johnny Can't Decide sequence. This sequence is like, it takes you from being really down and pessimistic to optimistic. The future's bright. Yeah. We're going to play game. One of the <laughs> things that's great about this one is like the posters of disillusionment on the background. So you have like Gypsy again. White people argue about marriage. Yeah. Uh, Great Brit, the the Great British musical, things like that, mm-hmm. and it's just like you're, you, you know, you get the sense that he's disillusioned. Here he is creating something new, but the audiences don't want you, or or don't know that they want you because they're stuck with the same thing again and again and again and again.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of references in the back of this one as well. Like there's a couple, all the posters, obviously, but then there's also like references to rent. Yes. Everywhere.
1: I love the end of play game where you've got the singer who's singing it and he's all just like
0: It's so funny. Yeah,
1: he's just like he finishes off the song and he goes, I'm here to audition for the role of Old Deuteronomy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's so funny. I loved it. And this is kind of like that sequence that we get in the last five years with Kathy auditioning and going through the cattle call and then she's like why are you staring at my shoes don't look at my don't resume my
0: <laughs> made up half of my resume with me with yeah my face. it's that
1: moment again that it shows just how difficult it is for people who are wanting to break into the industry
0: yeah
1: in a industry that is sticking with the old and the tried and the tested and not taking chances yeah which is what we're seeing with Hollywood right now you know How many new films are we getting or how many new properties are we doing? I uh, was part of the Cinematic Council of Podcasters last week and we're talking about 2021 in film. Check that out on the Best Film Ever podcast feed. We had a great time talking. Sounds like
0: a supervillain collective.
1: It kind of was. We had a great time talking about, you know, upcoming films in 2022. But one of the things that you get from looking at is just how many of them are sequels or reboots or remakes.
2: Mm.
1: There's nothing new coming out. And it's, you know, I feel like this scene especially means just as much in 2022 as it did in
0: 1990.
1: Mm. We go to the Superbia workshop and oh, yeah. I think it's Vanessa at Hudgens who says... It's confusing. I call
0: her Vanessa Ann Hudgens. Yes,
1: that's what I always called her as a child. She, she's—I don't know why she dropped the "an" from her name. It's the same she as it. but it's the same as Panic at the Disco dropping the exclamation mark. Like, what does it do?
0: It's the same reason why David Tennant isn't called David MacDonald. Somebody else was called that at the time. Yeah,
1: but Vanessa Ann Hudgens wasn't. She was the only Vanessa Ann Hudgens I knew. Like, she was credited as that for the longest time. Perhaps it's her growing up.
0: So, but I always uh, want to call her that. Our Superbia Workshop cast uh, contains Kate Rockwell, who is in Mean Girls, Joel Perez, who's in Fun Home, Katina Miller from Once on this Island, Janet DeCole from In the Heights, Giselle Jimenez from Wicked, and Anissa Folds, who is one of the members of Freestyle Love Supreme.
1: But, yeah, is it... Is it Vanessa Hudgens that comes forward and says Superbia is confusing, but not in a bad way?
0: No, it's Kate Rockwell. It some... so somebody plays came... Karen in yeah.
1: Mean Girls. It was somebody. And I like—I liked that as a moment there, where they're like trying to stand up, not stand up to the composer, but just I, I like that there's something in it that he has to justify it.
0: Well, so she says, could you explain it? And he's like, explain what? She's, the show, the plot of the show and is he's a like, little confusing did in you, places. Did you read the script? Yeah, but <laughs> when she says that, it cuts across to the rest of the cast. And Vanessa Hudgens is just sat there like rolling her eyes like, oh, come on, grow up, get over yourself. <laughs>
1: yeah. Is it, yeah, is it that is she actually confused by it? Or is she just trying to make a point? Is this the sort of thing, she, this isn't what she'd want to be in? It,
0: I imagine that it's just because this isn't the sort of thing she's used to. Yeah,
1: well, I think we get this really nice bit here where... He says that this is the first musical for the MTV generation. You know, like, his fingers are absolutely on the pulse here. Mm -hmm. He sees where the trajectory of pop culture is going. And he's trying to be the innovator. He's trying to be the first of it. Because he knows that somebody has to create the first MTV musical.
0: Yeah.
1: And... If it's not him, if he doesn't get this out there first, he'll be seen as a copycat instead of a trendsetter, which is why there's so much urgency to this. And I love it because it is absolutely true. The 90s were a really, really tremendous time for like pop culture and the growth of things. And it's just really interesting. I think he'd have flourished with Black Mirror.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: The whole idea of Superbia would 100% be like a Black Mirror episode.
0: Well, he says it's a the first musical for the MTV generation and that it's about how... I mean, you can sort of piece together the plot from this. Obviously, I know what the plot is separately, mm-hmm. but it's basically about vloggers. Yeah. But like Instagram vloggers specifically yeah. because it's ones that vlog from their phones and they film their lives And then based on what you do, you can win awards at this award ceremony. And this guy doesn't realise he's been streaming. Yeah. So he's going to win an award. And his girlfriend, once he gets famous, he sort of drops her. And then it's about their relationship.
1: See, I really hope that we don't get a superbia. We already live in superbia. No, but I really hope we don't get somebody who just picks up his old writing and is like, let's just make this off the success of Tick Tick Boom. I feel like that would just be quite exploitative. They didn't want it's it then.
0: Kind of fundamentally the plot of We Will Rock You.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's done with the music of Queen instead.
1: Yeah. But, I, you know, I hope we don't get it. I think I'd like to see more versions of Tick, Tick, Boom. Yeah. But I just feel like, yeah, you'd be exploiting somebody who it wasn't good enough when he was alive.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, but we'll do it now. You know, and this this works because he failed. Tick tick boom worked because he failed. I think you'd undermine tick tick boom and possibly rent. Yeah. If Superbia became a thing. Yeah. He wants a band and he says that the piano is not enough and we, we learned there's only been twelve RSVPs, therefore it doesn't warrant a band. Which is, you know, really, really sad yeah you he we, we learn here he's had three funerals of friends the oldest was 27 and yet you see more of that desire for rent and something that's going to change the lives
0: but he's saying it, all of this is making him feel like he needs to finish his show but he also needs to call michael but then he also needs to talk to susan but he doesn't want to talk to susan but he, he doesn't needs have to, the time but he doesn't have the time because he yeah. needs to write this song And... Round and round and
1: round. One of the things I really like is just him watching Superbia. It's the happiest we have seen Jonathan Larson in this film. Mm -hmm. He's just so happy because his work is there. It lives. Suddenly, it's not just something in his head and words on a page. It exists. Yeah. And he's going to try and make a bit of extra money so that he can himself fund the extra instruments He sells his books for $50, which he tries to argue with. He's like, I know you're going to sell them for more. Mm He uh, takes Godspell and keeps it because he's not going to sell that. Yeah. And I like that the bookshop owner is just like, okay, keep it. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And he agrees to do the focus group because it's going to be $70 towards another band member. And it does make a difference. So he gets a synthesizer.
0: Yep, he does get the synth
1: And there. it adds so much more because you now get this vibe he's going for.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Ira's like, oh, wow, I can hear it. Yeah, like, Ira's yeah.
1: suddenly like, you were right, but you're still not getting more money.
0: Mm. Oh, you know that song, the, the little sugar jingle that he yeah. sang to Ira earlier? That was a song nice. from Tick Tip Boom that got cut, um, but they were from the 2001 version. I liked it. It was a song between Jonathan Larson and Caressa. Yeah bonding over how much they both love twinkies because they have like a thing
1: so this is it we're going to see a little bit of them talking now because she wants to hear the song he yeah. says any day now and then we see susan's miffed because like just goes to watch her and then leaves mm-hmm. but i said to you is there going to be some kind of romantic element between him and vanessa hudgens because it feels like i it's was going... like yes and no so tell, tell me why
0: so, obviously, in the st- the proper stage show, there's only one actress there. Yeah. And she plays both Susan and Caressa, and then everybody else. But Caressa and Jonathan have chemistry. I think that's yes. the best way to put it. She's an, a woman who is there in his life and is really into his art and isn't pressuring him about anything or trying to make him make big decisions. And one day after rehearsals... Oh no, I think he's late. He's like on his way to rehearsals yeah. and he stops at the corner store and buys a Twinkie and she comes in behind him and also buys a Twinkie and they sing Sugar over the combined love of Sugar. Cool. And it's just about like them having this chemistry together. But, and then like Susan is jealous of yeah. it because he's spending more time with this girl who isn't pressuring him for anything than he is with her yeah but then he has a song that was also cut called see her smile which is about how much he wants to make susan happy and it sort of balances itself out a little bit
1: so there, there's no nothing really to the idea that he's gonna leave susan for this girl
0: no well do you want to know about the real susan
1: we'll talk about the end
0: okay her name isn't even susan
1: that's good at least he gave her the yeah anonymity. and michael
0: isn't called michael either
1: I like the bit here. So he's writing and he doesn't answer the phone, and we hear her voicemail. We're like, I know you're screening my calls. He tries to acknowledge, she goes, I can see your light is on and I can see you, and you see him trying to hide. And she's like, Come on, stop avoiding me. Mm-hmm. Comes up, they have an argument. It's the
0: parody of the scene in Rent when yeah. they're up on the balcony and you can see each other, like yeah. the angle. It's, it's great. So I
1: love that. And then they have this argument that she says that at no point.
0: He's never asked her to stay.
1: Yeah. And he's just like, Oh.
0: I want you to say. And she's like, well, this is the first time I'm hearing about it.
1: And we get one of my favourite songs. I feel like I've said that all the time here with therapy. Oh,
0: my God. Right.
1: Uh, The the rhythm, (laughs) the lyrics, the juxtaposition between the performance on Tick, Tick, Boom and In His Mind, the reliving of this moment.
0: I feel bad that you feel bad about me, feeling bad about you.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And just how faster it gets. But like the moment where just him and Vanessa Hudgens are just like, Their faces and the
0: I love her hair as well um, because when it starts, her hair's quite nicely done. But the more she like flicks it around, the more manic it gets. It's great.
1: It's just fantastic. You can't say more than that. Like the performance of it is is again really, really chaotic and shows how hard. Like this is the levels of Richard Gere having to work for Chicago and learning tap for Mm -hmm. that sequence.
0: Yeah.
1: Andrew Garfield learnt this in a year. And I'm sure he, would, he was at a base he probably could already do it more than he realised. But to be able to do this, yeah, this is a really difficult Especially looking...
0: Especially next to Vanessa Hudgens, who has been Broadway trained her whole life. Yes.
1: Well, it is. It's like um, Singing in the Rain, isn't it? Of uh,
0: Gene Kelly and Debbie Reynolds. Yeah, yeah.
1: and Donald O'Connor, mm. like doing the good morning, good morning sequence. Yep. Like, you know, you've got to learn all this and you're against like, seasoned people Mm. and it's just a really fantastic sequence
0: so susan breaks up with him she wasn't going to (laughs) until he starts tapping out therapy on her back and she's like oh my my god God. you're writing a song about this yeah and i cannot even imagine the sheer fury that i would feel like
1: but what i like here is that it's almost like he's owning up to the fact that his priorities aren't right Mm. and this happened he's a very
0: flawed character yeah and it's it's
1: a it's an admission which you wouldn't get in the last five years it would be a oh kathy needs to stop riding me she's such a hindrance to my successful writing life yeah whereas here it's like it shows that his priorities are wrong
0: we do need to keep in mind the line that is spoken by susan at the very beginning of this yeah which is all of this is true except for the parts that jonathan made up
1: i know well exactly but this is it he still he still feels far more like he's owning up to where he's made mistakes Mm. i i really like again we get more of that excellent ticking motif just throughout it's the
0: sound in his head yeah yeah. throughout
1: this this film we've been having it uh we have the focus group and i really dislike the host she's really really nasty who it is
0: it's laura benanti Really famous Broadway actress. She was in like really good in My Fair Lady yeah. the revival. Great Incredible.
1: performer, but she comes across really nasty. It's like we've been waiting for you, Mister Larson. Thank you for being late. It's like actually a really perfect valid response. That he was oh, he said, oh, I'm on the subway." and
0: she's like, "I'm sure.
1: Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like really unnecessary. Yep.
0: Yeah. We also have Michaela Diamond, who was in the Cher show. Yes. Um, Utkarsh who is a member of Freestyle Love Supreme, with. Mamma Miranda and Danielle Furland, who I didn't recognize until about two minutes into this scene, when I was like, "Oh my god, I know who that is." She was Little Red Riding Hood in the original cast yes, of Into she the was. Woods, but she was also in the version of Sunday in the Park with George that they were watching earlier. She's the child it's character cool. in that. It's very very cool.
1: I really like this sequence. So like they're they're coming up with ideas like for America. Like, what, what do you th- think of when you hear America? And you get him in his head, which is really met, It's like proper inception, because we're in his head already. But then we go into his head, and he says, genocide, racism, etc. And then he comes back, and he gives like a, you know, generic response. Driving
0: down a long, empty highway. And they were like, oh my god, you're a genius. And he starts thinking... Oh my God, I could get paid for this. I'm being creative. I oh, get paid this for this. Oh, this is really good. Yeah, because
1: people are like enticing him to as well because he's the most creative part. But then it's when he hears what the product is and how evil this product is that he's like, nope, nope, I don't want to do this. Yeah. So I seen him. He names
0: my... it like, was it Chubway?
1: Yeah, Chubstitute.
0: It's like a fat substitute.
1: That could make you bald. For and,
0: cooking. It yeah. could kill you, basically. Yeah.
1: Which I'm sure it's not a real product. It's like a him making it up to be as OTT as possible. Like, this is how he views it. But then you cut to... You have him saying, going, Chubstitute! And then you cut to Michael telling him off. You know, because he's like, I, I went to bat for you. You've let me down. This is my career. They won't take my suggestion seriously. You're going to impact my life.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I really love this dialogue of the whole, what are you doing... Because it it also suggests his reason for wanting to do rent. You know, that you've got Michael going on about, here's what I do. I'm true to myself. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. And it's like, but what are you doing? You're just writing songs. What are you doing to make a difference? You act like you are better than every single one of us. What are you doing?
0: Yeah. And Michael calls him on his privilege, basically, and says to him, look, you could be with Susan. You could be happy. But you purposely are not doing that. And yeah. he's like, oh, Michael says that that's what he wants, but he can't. And Jonathan's like, well, why can't you just go out and get it? And Michael's like, you literally know nothing. Yeah,
1: it's like, you think We're I'm gonna... in the middle
0: of the AIDS crisis. Yeah,
1: It's like, I am a, a, a gay man. I won't be able to have all this. I'm very fortunate of my lot in life right now. And I'm going to enjoy what I have. But you... Yeah you know, you have this fake idea that I will have a family someday. It's like, no, I'm not even allowed to get married. Mm. And it is a really nice moment that shows just... And again, another thing that shows how flawed that Jonathan is. That it doesn't he's, occur
0: to him. Yeah. yeah.
1: He, he just assumes that everyone else is privileged. And the fact that he's the only one who's really suffering. Mm-hmm. But he isn't. And I liked it. It was a nice... Rosa finally calls and apparently every producer in town is coming. So he has some pep in his step as he goes to write the final song.
0: Yeah, Judith Light is playing his... um... Agent. I was going to say producer, I don't know why. Yeah, you you watched Ugly Betty, right?
1: Uh, Yeah, but I don't remember much of it. She was in that.
0: But yeah, she's a really prominent LGBTQ plus and aids activist cool. that began in the early 80s but yeah she's a big uh broadway actress as well that's really cool and we love her she's great she's been in so much stuff like not just films and stuff like she's in scrooge and molly nice which was not that good a film but she was also in the you know oh what's the dreamworks film called that's the the Bible story, it's really nicely animated.
1: Prince of Egypt.
0: Yeah. So they tried to make a sequel to that. Yeah. Or like a, you know, adjacent sequel called Joseph, King of Dreams. And she was in that. Cool. It wasn't as good. But then, yeah, her uh, theatre is she was in a doll's house. She's been in Wit, Measure for Measure, other desert cities, like all their wonderful things. And she has a whole bunch of awards. But yeah, she rocks. And she's another one that you're like, oh, good. It's nice that she's here, especially right after a scene where we've talked about LGBTQ plus issues in the 80s. Yeah. To have her then show up is yeah. quite cool.
1: But again, it's more really great like framing from this musical that we've had like a really low scene, but we're now going to have that pep in the step and we have you know the star of this film, the Judgmental Kitty.
0: Yeah, he's really Judgmental Cat.
1: Yeah. I Every time he's trying to... That. Yeah, it's one of the best bits. Is like he goes to distract himself and he goes to you sit on the toilet and a cat just opens the door and just watches like, you should be writing, Jonathan.
2: Yeah.
1: Come on, Jonathan. Well, he
0: cleans his whole house yeah. first because he suddenly has motivation. So he cleans the whole flat, gets rid of everything. Oh, yeah,
1: because he's massively depressed. Like yeah. throughout all of this, he is massively depressed and this boost is what he's needed. Now it's like, right. And one of the first steps to are counteracting this depression for him is to clean the house. So he's you know, the house resembles something more welcoming and inviting because at the moment it isn't, Mm -hmm. but that's because he's quite understandably depressed because things aren't necessarily working out the way he wanted them to.
0: But yeah, the cat judges him. Yeah. I love the cat judging him. And then he's cleaned his whole house. He sits down at his keyboard to write this song and all the power goes out.
1: Yep. He gets, uh, uh, cut off and we see him ringing the electricity man how is he ringing the electricity man if he has no electricity
0: that's not how phones work
1: i thought phones need to be plugged in
0: to the phone lines
1: i thought phones need to be plugged into things as well so maybe that's my bad i just assumed your phone had to be plugged into a mains you're
0: older than me you should know this
1: exactly and i remember having a phone that had to always be plugged in
0: No, old phones were, like, wired through the building and went up into the phone lines as opposed to the actual...
1: Fair enough. You know? I really liked this, though. Um, It was a really nice thing. He hasn't
0: paid his bill. That's why the thing's... Yeah,
1: and he was warned about this by Michael right at the start. He tries to ring Susan. and, And that feels really, really nasty because... What he's doing here is he's like, he's trying to use he's her. He's trying
0: to find somewhere to say. That to has, what has
1: like Exactly. And there. he's just using, even though he knows that, and he gets through to her housemate and her housemate's like, yeah, no, she just want to talk to you. And Obviously. that feels really, it's, it's something else like that feels really, really nasty. And if he did do that, it's nice that he's included it to show how flawed he is.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Or is this just a Lin-Manuel Miranda sake of storytelling? You know, I don't know. Yeah, but I, I liked that I'm
0: glad that you picked up on that because that's how I felt about it as well both times Yeah, because that's the second time I've seen it now and I was like trying to use
1: yeah had he rang Michael I would have been a bit more okay it's Michael
0: he's I, had an argument
1: with Michael it's they're, not, but they're
0: buddies you know yeah but it's, it's not different. quite as
1: bad as what he's done to Susan
0: especially because she dumped him yeah but come on
1: we're going to swimming yes we all need a way to distress
0: you want to know a fun fact? Sure. So, they hired a swimming double. Yeah. For this scene, he's called David Armstrong. He is credited as Andrew Garfield's swimming double, and he was paid, but he didn't do anything <laughs> because they had Andrew Garfield swim so that he could like watch and see what like he would look like. Yeah. And Andrew Garfield swam so fast <laughs> that the double was like, "I can't swim that fast." It's not... Like, he might as well do it. Yeah. Why would you have me do it? And apparently, Andrew Garfield's dad is the head coach of the Guildford Swimming Club. Guildford City Swimming Club. So, yeah. Um, and then, Andrew Garfield's dad was supposed to be the guy that Jonathan Larson overtakes in the pool, but yeah. his dad couldn't come in because of COVID. Bless him. Which is sad. But, I just think it's really funny that they hired this... Uh... <laughs> Double. Yeah. Yeah, but I like... I. I... Also...
1: I like this, that they're they're seriously in this. They don't know what they've got with Andrew Garfield, do they? They don't know that he can't... Oh, yeah,
0: he can swim. (laughs) Yeah,
1: he can swing. He can...
0: He can... Yeah. He
1: can sing. He can swim. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's lucky.
0: So the pool scenes were shot at the Tony DePolito Recreation Centre in the West Village in New York. Yeah. And they chose the location because it resembled the lyrics... Yeah. With the the lines on the floor and the like what everything looks like in the locker rooms. And then while they were filming, they found out that that was the actual swimming pool that Jonathan Larson would go swimming at.
1: That's very cool. They
0: didn't do that on purpose. That's so cool.
1: <laughs> yeah. I like this and especially like the way you know, he sees the 30 and he dusts it and it turns into the musical notes and we zoom out and we just get suddenly the the whole song's there. And it's there. And I just think it's a really beautiful way to have that eureka moment where suddenly you just like, let me sit down and write. Yeah. Jonathan
0: Uh, Larson preferred to write on the computer. Yeah. And he gets out of the pool here and runs and writes the whole thing out by hand on sheet music. And just loose leaf sheet music, not his nice book that he doesn't have yet. But yeah, he actually gets out and writes it all
1: down. Yeah, I thought it was great. And I just thought this whole sequence was exquisite. Mm-hmm. He finally has his song and we cut to the, the workshop. 60 empty chairs. I thought, oh no. I love this. He just looks really like upset and I'm really upset. He just did like,
0: their oh, no. like shell shock.
1: So am I. And then in walks Vanessa Hudgens and he's like, there's no point. It's a failure. And she's like, yeah. Because yeah,
0: it's 9am.
1: It's not even 9. And I, I felt his relief.
0: But he's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then he...
1: His
2: pir- I have been
0: thinking about this since we watched it, right?
2: Yeah.
0: He gives her the sheet music and is like, can you sight read? And she's like, yeah, why? And he gives her the music and she's like, brilliant, let's learn this. We have under an hour. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> In under an hour, she learns this whole song. This is one of those things where I'm like blown away by a lot of the things that are happening on broadway where yeah. understudies and people who haven't even been in the show oh for a yeah year, and it's
1: really nice that there's lots in. of shows are having that trend of somebody coming forward and be like by the way these guys learned it in 30 minutes so that we could have this performance tonight. yeah
0: the stand-ins like we're giving like we had one in the west end who she used to play cassette and she's left yeah uh mids, but they rang her up and with four hours notice, she went back and played cassette again. Yeah. Incredible.
2: But
1: it's really nice that producers or the other actors so there's the one with Hugh Jackman bringing out Sutton Foster's Understood character it, yeah. And, yeah, and studied and just making sure that they get their moment for like an ovation, like a separate one be like, we only were able to perform tonight because of them. Mm. I like that.
0: Did I tell you he tested positive? Yes, you did. After that.
1: This is really cute. His parents show up to oh, watch, yeah. and like, oh, it's reserved for us. He's like, nope, sit anywhere else, literally anywhere you else. Sit can't sit there, because that's Sondheim's seat.
0: Yes, his parents are played by Danny Burstein and Judy Kuhn, Big Broadway actress again. Fantastic.
1: Michael comes. I thought that was really cute. Because even though, even though Michael's angry at him, he still goes to support him.
0: Yeah, and he thought that Susan was coming, but when they broke up, she said she would see him yeah. after... Because that's what he kept saying after the workshop. After the workshop, yeah.
1: Rosa arrives and doesn't recognize Jonathan. (laughs) Yeah, which is so funny. His
0: producer is like, "Oh no!" (laughs) It
1: it really reminds me of Joey's agent in Friends. Like, it's Estelle.
0: Like, why is she dressed like this? It
1: it is. It's just like I I feel like it's a reference to Estelle in Friends. Yeah, you know, not knowing anything. But it was a really funny little thing, and he comes forward. And we're told we can't keep waiting. And I was like, oh, Stephen Sondheim didn't show up. And then it starts and in he walks. And could you just imagine, like, everyone's in awe. Like, all those performers are just like...
0: Oh, yeah, you see the performers that you know between each other. Like, oh, my God, Stephen Sondheim's here.
1: Right? And you'd be like, especially if you were the the one who's like, what's this show even about?
0: That's the one who gets excited. But you'd be like,
1: oh, my God, are we actually onto something?
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) I loved it. I thought it was great when he walked in. And yeah, we get superbia. I love this. He says that the next hour and a half are a blur. Yep. And I, I do love that his efforts have now got to be recognised in Tick Tick Boom. That these songs exist.
0: Yeah, well, this song solely in isn't Tick, normally in Tick Tick Boom. Is it not? Superbia song that they're singing. Yeah. They use this movie as the opportunity to showcase a lot of the songs.
1: But I think it's great that these songs still get to exist, and they're great. I really liked how they sounded. I mm. thought they were nice songs. And yeah, I thought it was really, really nice. We then go into Come to Your Senses. And this is the bit I really love how internal this film is. Mm-hmm. Because obviously we're now going, you know, double layers. Because in his mind, he's reliving this moment. But also in his mind it, at that moment. He sees Susan performing this role because he wrote this for Susan. Yeah. And I just thought it was really, really cute. Um
0: yeah, Come To Your Senses is such a nice song. The fact that she supposedly learned that in, like, under an hour yeah. is just amazing. And the climax
1: is great. And just everyone's reactions, these huge ovations was phenomenal.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then he goes home all, all all hyped and he gets good news from Rosa. Everyone loved it. But the bad news, no one's going to put it on. And And...
0: Yeah, and Rosa says to him... Like, that's just kind of how this is. You just have to kind of take it. And he says, well, what do I do now? Yeah. She says, well, now you write the next but one. But then there's, the,
1: and then this is what's really sweet, is because Rosa has not been the, the kindest character, but she's redeemed fully through this moment.
2: Yeah.
1: Because she goes to, like, say, I'm onto the next one. He's like, no, I need your help. What do I do next? And she picks up the phone They're being on speakerphone. She just says to him, you start with the next one. You start writing the next one. Yeah, and I've had a lot of clients in your position now, and I always tell them the same:
2: mm-hmm.
1: write about what you know.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's this really sad, really quiet moment, and then she goes back to being her. Yeah, but it's nice that she recognizes something in Jonathan. That it's almost like at this point he's earned her attention. Yeah, and now, and she she doesn't she's she's probably given bad news so often. But she she's this is the first one of the first times in a while her character has actually felt the bad news she's giving.
2: Yeah.
1: And it was a really nice moment. And writing about what you know, and that he did twice. Yep. And he goes straight to Michael when he begs for a job. He's like, Michael's like, no. Because Michael finally gets why he's doing it. It's like, you were the best of us Mm -hmm. and I was wrong, and you need to keep doing this. Because Michael's sin superbio, and he's like, Yeah, okay, you are the future of musical theatre. I'm completely on your side.
0: Yeah. He goes back to working on the next thing.
1: Well, yeah. He does. we still get more of this scene with Michael.
0: Yeah.
1: And Michael, you know, talking about how he was the mediocre actor, but Jonathan is special. And... Oh, you know in that flashback? Yeah.
0: Where um I think it's in a minute. There's a flashback where we see young Michael and young Jonathan. The t- The drama teacher in that is Lin-Manuel Miranda's drama cool. teacher from high school. That's really cute. That it's a nice cool. little cameo.
1: Yeah. Th- this whole little sequence of them going through stuff is great. And then you have this really painful line where Jonathan says, I'm running out of time. Yeah. And then you have an even more painful moment where Michael reveals that he is HIV positive.
0: He's like, you're not running out of time. I am.
1: Yeah. And I was just like, I can't say what I said because we're a PG show.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. But that just hit hard. It's like a double blow because obviously we know how Jonathan Larson's story ends. So to hear him at 30 being like, I'm running out of time. It's just like, it's not just this melodramatic over the top Mm -hmm. attitude. It is true, even though he doesn't know that. Yeah. But then to have like the actual, yeah, well, I am running out of time. Is really, really sad. And you just feel the sorrow. You feel the pain. And you have this silence and more of the ticking. But the ticking is sped up. Yeah. We get real life. The monologue is raw and painful. And the ticking is really fast. And it just stops as we go into why. And we get, yeah, we get more of the home movies-esque thing, which is really, really fun. Mm -hmm. But, again, heartbreaking because of everything it represents and he comes i don't know where where the theater is but like the middle of the park in the rain and there's this shot of the piano surrounded by like the empty auditorium and it's just beautiful yeah and we see that they did west side story
0: Mm -hmm. yeah that's funny watching them try and do the dances
1: yeah and it is really, really sad. This is this song, like, him dealing with the grief of his friend. hmm Is Michael there at the end after, like, when when Tick Tick Boom finishes? Is Michael in the auditorium applauding Jonathan?
0: Yes, he's okay. there at the end.
1: Yeah, so this is him, basically, this song is him coming to terms with knowing that his friend's going to die.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And possibly in real life, I don't know, possibly his friend has died before this is performed.
0: We can talk about all the real stuff.
1: Yeah, but... You know, this is him dealing with that. And I really love that he then just goes to Michael and he promises he'll be there every step of the way. They hug, they embrace, and it's great. Yeah. And then this film is just on, like, the tragic trajectory right now. Like, it's gut punch after gut punch. Yeah. He's now alone in his room and there's a phone call and he ignores it. And who is ringing him?
0: It's Stephen Sondheim.
1: And it's the real Stephen Sondheim.
0: Do you know why it's the real Stephen Sondheim? Why? Because when they were filming this, uh, the actor who was playing Stephen Sondheim, Bradley Whitford, he recorded the voicemail for this. And that's what they were going to use originally. However, they then sent it to Stephen Sondheim because obviously it's his words that they're using. And Stephen Sondheim was like, no, this isn't right. That's not what I said. Um... Like, you should rephrase this. Do you want me to rewrite the script for you? And Lynn mom Miranda was like, oh, yeah, you can. But then we'd have to get Bradley Whitford back. Like, he's rabbed. He's gone. Yeah. You know, and we're, we're not paying him anymore. That's the end of his performance. And so Stephen Sondheim was like, okay, I'll just record it. And <laughs> just send it back to them. Which is spectacularly
1: spectacularly cool. cool. And this release just before he died mm-hmm. as well. But again, it's just like watching this and hearing his voice after his death. Yeah. Is, it's just like, it's this really painful reminder he's gone, but this really beautiful reminder that he'll never be gone mm-hmm. because he leaves behind this amazing legacy. Yeah. You know, and again, I'm not going to make too many Marvel comparisons, but it is like with Endgame.
0: Yeah.
1: Stanley had passed away by the time Endgame came out. When we saw his cameo, that was it. And, you know, there was a film filled with, like, beautiful moments. Yeah, But that, that final cameo from Stan Lee, because you knew that was it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's just this beautiful reminder that a person's never truly gone.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, it, yeah, it just, it's really nice. And I think it works even nicer having it be his actual words. Yeah. Like Or his actual voice speaking it, because... It just represents so much more. And I guess is this real outpouring of love to this tragic figure from the musical theatre community that you got, you know, Stephen Sondheim involved. Yeah. You know, what better way to really showcase your love for this individual? Hmm. And we see him putting down this notebook. He's starting on the next one. Yes. Listening to those lines, listening to those words. And it's Rent.
0: Yeah. but So the words that are written on the pieces of paper that he's looking at are allusions to Rent, but then they're also worked into the finale song for this show, yeah. which is cool.
1: He's going to stay at the diner.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's his birthday. We have finally reached 30. Mm-hmm. He turned 30 before I was born. This happens, all, all of this happens about a month before I was born. That's very cool. Because I'm March 1990 and this is end of January Mm -hmm. 1990. So about a month and a week or two. Yep. Yeah. Um, Apropos of nothing. He
0: died when I was born.
1: Yeah. I know. -hmm. Um, Susan shows up. She took the job.
0: But she bought him
1: the score for him to write the next one.
0: She says, I promise I'll see in the next one. But then she's not in the audience when we see Tick, Tick, Boom again.
1: Yes, but she's at the door.
0: Yeah. So the way that the ending of this works is that, like, all the people that are there, because the entire audience of Tick, Tick, Boom, the version that we're watching, are people who showed up all the way through this. Because it's supposed to be like, look, they are. He knows them all now. They are all here. Yeah. Except for Susan. Who's at the door, so it's like, is she there, is she not there? Well, that's what I thought, because
1: I thought it's sad she wasn't. Before we actually get Louder Than Words, though, I think this is a really interesting choice. We kind of get the epilogue, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: where we learn that the next one was Tick, Tick, Boom. Yep. He did exactly, you know, that. And then Rent, and Rent was this phenomenon. Mm -hmm. But he died the day it premiered, and we see the footage.
0: Of, yeah, the performers saying we dedicate dedicate this and every performance to our friend jonathan yeah
1: and like it's a really really painful moment because you've grown to really like this character yeah over you know the two hours of this film Mm -hmm. and you've you, you know especially if you didn't know like i would love to have gone into this not knowing that jonathan larson died yeah could you imagine that feeling like you finally feel proud of him like he's he's performing tick tick boom Oh, great, and he's going to do Rent. And you learn that before he ever saw just how popular Rent was. Yeah. You know, he made it and he wasn't even there to see it. And it it is heartbreaking. And especially because we then go into Louder Than Words, which is such a nice triumphant ending, which is like his legacy. Again, it's like sometime. Are you ever truly gone if you leave behind this legacy?
0: Well, so the real Michael Matagrady yeah. said... Like all great artists, he launched it, he got the story off the ground, it was a phenomenon, and then he left us. Yeah. Like, with it. He left us there with it.
1: So he survived to see Rent, then?
0: He's alive today.
1: Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, that's really nice.
0: saw this film.
1: That's really nice. Yeah. Considering, like, how pessimistic this film is, and Rent is, for obvious reasons, you know, Jonathan Larson lost friends. Mm -hmm. You know, for him to still be here now. Yeah. That's really awesome.
0: Mm-hmm. He at no point ever was an actor.
1: He never acted.
0: Matt Grady, no. He was an ad executive, but he never wanted to be an actor. He never did school shows. He wasn't into any of that. Interesting. Yeah. isn't it. Mm-hmm.
1: History is written by the winners. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I tell you what, I, I really love... You know, the fact that at the end, you know, we do see everyone except soon. be like, you see Sondheim there. Obviously not real Sondheim, but stage Sondheim. And the way it ends with
2: that. Da, 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 da,
0: Well, we gained three new cameos in yeah. this last scene for some reason. So we now have Scott Schwartz, uh, who was the original off-Broadway director of Tick, Tick, Boom. Yep. Christopher Jackson, who also is in Hamilton, and Jelani Aladdin, who worked on Frozen. Cool. Yeah. I don't know why they only show up in this bit, but, you know.
1: Maybe it's just but because yeah, the, of that moment the there. The
0: ending with happy birthday to you is
1: sad. Oh, it's so sad. It's painfully sad, but, like, beautiful as well. Like, it just ends so poignantly.
0: Yeah.
1: So, tell me, so before we get into the rest of it, you told me about Michael. Talk to me about Susan.
0: So her real name is Janet Charleston. They never actually broke up. <laughs> they had like an on again off again relationship and they actually were still together when he died. Okay. But yeah, she uh she didn't dump him. I mean they they broke up like you say on like I say on again off again. It's that kind of relationship, but she was still with him when he died. Which is very sad. Um, so maybe
1: there's hope that this that Susan actually is there in the wings watching and then rekindles their romance.
0: Yeah, potentially.
1: Because like this is almost like an apology to her mm-hmm. for you know how obnoxious he's been and you know at this point she's like, okay.
0: Yeah. Was like um Stephen Sondheim was Jonathan Larson's mentor for a really long time yeah. prior to Superbia ever being presented. Uh, he sent Sondheim a letter when he was in college and Sondheim wrote him back.
1: Which, bef- like, post his death, the amount of letters that have come out from Sondheim that people mm-hmm. have... is so sad. But he really did care. Yeah. He really did. I saw one mm-hmm. that he'd sent to Trey Parker and Matt Stone saying he wanted to work with them on something like because he really enjoyed Team America, which yeah. is so weird because, like, obviously that references rent and mm. it's it, i don't da- I watch that film because i know it's not aged well but yeah. they he wanted to create a musical with them after seeing team america and just he cared so much about the industry didn't he mm-hmm. so, so yeah so so yeah he, matt he,
0: grady was never jonathan larson's roommate yeah they never lived together in the actual, when he actually presented Superbia, he did not get the rock band he wanted. He didn't even get a synthesizer. Uh, he only had a piano, and his cast um, really struggled with the energy of the rock score with only a piano. So it wasn't
1: as successful as he painted it to be.
0: Stephen Sondheim did come to see it, but he left after the first act. <laughs> Hush.
1: I mean, this is the thing. He's obviously reflecting on his life, and when you reflect on your life, you have the the Mandela effect, don't you? Where you remember things differently. Mm-hmm. But I think this paints more so than anything, and especially because like the big performances of Tick, Tick Boom really happened after he died. Yeah. There's definitely been some adaptation, I think, to hit that sorrow, knowing what his what the end of Jonathan Larson's life is like.
0: Yeah. What's
1: your favourite song? There's so many. Um, I know I, which ones
0: you've added to our soundtrack already. Right, but... I basically
1: added everything to the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. So I, I the only one I haven't actually included is Green Green Dress.
0: Yeah.
1: I haven't put Real Life on there. I love Real Life, and that's not going to be my skip song. I, I think just that's think,
0: a cinematic one. It's night. a cinematic
1: song. It's also a painful song. Mm-hmm. In terms of my best song, I'm going to go with either 3090 because it's just beautiful and it's been in my head since yeah no more because the rent vibes Mm -hmm. and therapy because it's just incredible yeah it's just oh my days
0: mine's therapy
1: yeah those three but it's really difficult like danny can't decide (laughs) (laughs) it's all so good um i guess skip song i'm gonna say is green green dress
0: Fair enough. Mine's play game.
1: Play game possibly because like it, it's a
0: bot, but I wouldn't listen yeah, to it. I feel like this.
1: Y- you get a really nice joke at the end of it, but it just doesn't feel like it really fits. Mm-hmm. So I'd say those two are my skip songs. Um, I mean, the MVP has to be Andrew Garfield. Yeah. Like it has to be. And it's so funny because like there's been such this, you know, online thing in recent years that we want, broadway slash musically trained actors in our musicals
0: yeah
1: and we have how many different people with a musical theater background in this cameoing and you've got andrew garfield as jonathan larson Mm -hmm. and he nails it and he's absolutely the mvp but it's just i love it that it's just so funny that he's come out of nowhere yeah you know you could have got a neil patrick harris who's done the role before Mm -hmm. i think it was a really bold thing for lin-manuel miranda to be like he looks like him. He's who I want to do it. And they stuck with him and it worked. And Andrew Garfield is absolutely the MVP. But I will say, is a career best on this podcast for Vanessa Hudgens. Yeah. I have never seen her so good in any of the high school musicals. She's
0: really good in musical theatre the, stuff. In any
1: of the Princess Switch movies. This is the best thing I've ever seen her in.
0: We'll have to watch Rent. The one with her in it. Right.
1: Obviously, I did not care for Rent. Mm-hmm. i want to see more versions of rent
2: mm-hmm.
1: i want to see rent on stage i th- i do think my biggest issue with rent is the fact that they went they're the route. too old they're too yeah. old i still have issues with the whole like it's too big scope like look at this this happens over five days yeah it's great for that but the whole rent being a year and i don't invest in enough of the characters and maybe at its core is the issue is the film version of rent is they're too old to do this Mhm. But it does make me want to see rent. It does make me want to have like a new appreciation for rent. It just is so sad. It really is. Is your MVP Andrew Garfield as well?
0: Yes, I agree.
1: Do you have a role that you'd want to play?
0: No, I can't be in this. Unless I could play Jonathan Larson.
2: Yeah.
1: I want to be Jonathan Nelson. (laughs) (laughs) I would never, I only have one choice. I mean, realistically, I want to be Sondheim Mm -hmm. or I want to be, um, I want to be Richard Kynes character just sitting there with this fake Sondheim being like, oh yes, yes, yes. We're saying the same thing, but separately. Yeah. But it's just phenomenal. So over to Instagram, 93%. This, this had some of the, the most interactions of anything we've watched. 93% of people said yes, they are fans, with 7% saying no, they were not fans. Uh, Tara Kabash, friend of the podcast, who you'd have heard from in our year in review episode, Mm -hmm. said, I loved tick tick boom i've heard some of the songs over the years but i really enjoyed and appreciated how this film was done layering the scenes in with the workshop narration worked really well it was also really cool that you can see why he ended up creating rent every actor completely sold it for me i was fully invested for the entire film and in tears multiple times i also like that jonathan isn't always that likable he didn't paint himself as perfect he's human which is much more relatable Mm
2: -hmm. which
1: like i absolutely agreed with Over on Twitter, again, mass amount of people interacting with this. 4% of people said, no more. 8% of people said, it's okay. 88% of people said, yes, face the thrill. We heard from at Pop Culture Review, who we obviously have spoken with on their 52 weeks of Christmas podcast for Anna and the Apocalypse. Mm Mm-hmm. They said it's fantastic as a lifelong rent head who's always wondered what more Jonathan Larson had to offer the world had he lived. Tick Tick Boom was fantastic for me. I've watched it three times already. I have begun singing Boho Days nonstop for weeks. We talked a little bit about Rent that, uh, you know, I'm not a big fan and... They said, the movie of Rent fails to capture the stage in every way that matters. It also might be an age and location thing. As a whole, I think Rent speaks to a very specific place and time. While most of the themes still resonate the overall story may not hit 2021 audiences. But so many of the seeds of what Rent would become, you see them right there in Tick, Tick, Boom. Uh, Jonathan Larson took his agent's advice. And after Superbia, really started to write what he knows. Mm -hmm. And we talked a little bit about all the, the Rent Easter eggs. So, yeah that was that was fun we heard from midnight musicals podcast who simply said one of our favorite things we saw this year Mm -hmm. go check out the midnight musicals podcast because we love them at afternoon tune reviewed it on their channel and loved it we also heard from at julie aprilfan1 who says it's absolutely amazing i love it andrew garfield's performance was stunning And then we heard from friend of the podcast, Jared Good.
0: Yeah.
1: Who says... I just loved it. It really resonated for me as an artist wanting to create new musicals. That moment with Susan where she realises he's writing a song in the midst of an emotional exchange is so real. It was such a smart approach to an adaptation. I love how Lynn combined the Tick Tick Boom material, Superbia material and other songs Jonathan had written. By far one of the best film adaptations I can think of for a small show that you wouldn't expect to get a film adaptation. Sunday was a, was Musical Theatre Kid Catnip and I ate it up Mm. yes it's a little cheesy yes that's the point got me all emotional a top 10 movie moment for me from 2021 i'd be curious to see what other projects lynn might be interested in bringing to film Out of curiosity, are there any small underseen musicals you'd love to get a screen adaptation? I've had thoughts about how Blood Brothers might work, but it'd be such a challenge. It's such a theatre piece. When I'm referring to small shows, you wouldn't expect to get a film adaptations. I'm talking movie adaptations like Hello Again, Lucky Stiff, Last Five Years. Sure, it's popular, but it doesn't screen movie. The Fantastics, hugely popular show, but really such a theatre piece. I feel like I'm the only person who saw the film. What do you think to that? You would probably have a better answer than me. Are there any underseen musicals you'd love to see get a screen adaptation
0: yeah loads (laughs) finding neverland the film was okay remake it remake the musical into a film i think it would be really good but make it really over the top yeah so like all of the peter pan stuff that comes into it the stuff that he's seeing make it like labyrinth style puppets and, like, crazy over-the-top acting and cast a girl as Peter Pan. Yeah. Because it makes me mad that they don't.
1: I agree that I'd love to see a film version of Blood Brothers. I would love to see that.
0: but then we don't, it and you'd maybe watch it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll get to that in a second. Um, but I don't know. How do you get across the actor's... Always being Eddie, Mickey, Linda. I don't think you would. You you'd, you, you'd have someone. to cast kids, and you lose something that makes it special. I I don't know musical theatre the same way that you do, and obviously the same way Jared does. That's the point of this show is I'm learning.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So that I don't have a show. I really loved the last five years, and you know I'd said to Jared, I want more intimate and small musicals like this, and I really liked how last five years made it work. Mm-hmm. I I guess it's not an underseen musical because it's very very popular. I would like to see a film version of Be More Chill. I think it could work, especially if it takes the Little Shop of Horrors route
2: mm-hmm.
1: and, and and they keep it as it is. We don't do what Little Shop of Horrors does and change the ending. I actually think Be More Chill could be this generation's Little Shop in terms of like a film adaptation, mm-hmm. but. Uh, You know, and that's just me, personally.
0: Yeah.
1: If you haven't already guessed, this is a five-star for me. We really have started the year well. I'm sure if we end up doing another year in review, you know, at the end of 2022, this one will be high-ranking, because I think this is going to live with me for a long time. Yes, indeed. What do you think? Is this a a five-star for you?
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: It was just beautiful. It was really, really beautiful. Now, on to uh, musicals that if I owned... You would make me watch. Mm -hmm. It's your birthday next week. Yeah. What are we going to be watching for your birthday? We're
0: going to watch Cats. The same thing we watched last year. Except this time we're going to watch the movie version.
1: Yes. So I've never actually seen the opening to the movie version. Mm -hmm. Because, uh...
0: Yeah, because when we went to see it, there were no trailers before it, because I think the cinema was like, what do we do with this?
1: Yep, and it's the reason why I stopped going to World mm-hmm. <laughs> And we got myself an Odeon card instead.
2: Yep.
1: Um, we're going to be talking about the movie version of Cats. I have not seen it since seeing it at the cinema, and it'll be very interesting to see, because um, I enjoyed it. It'll be interesting to see if that changes having seen Cats, mm-hmm. the 1997 film pro shot. Yeah. You don't want to miss next week's episode. We might be the first people on the internet to ever praise cats.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The 2019 movie musical adaptation. Yeah, yeah. As always, you can get yourself involved in the conversation on cats and on Tick Tick Boom over on Twitter and Instagram at it's a musical pod. If you want to let us know anything we've missed or you want to you know, add any points in hindsight, let us know. We're always happy to keep the conversation going. You can subscribe to us on a multitude of good podcasting platforms. We are available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, on the Amazon Music app under the podcast sections of the library. We are on Stitcher, we are on Pods, and we are in our OG hosts, Podbean. And if you like what we do, why not start 2022 off right and leave us a five-star review over on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on GoodPods, or on Podchaser.com. But until next week, where we are off once more to the Jellicle Ball, we will see the same bat place, same bat channel.
0: Have a magical musical Monday.
1: And Happy New Year!